Joyride podcast. John is my name. <laughs> but Welsh and Ian is my name. Hello and welcome to the Joyride podcast. I'm well, You're about to, Welsh. See, to see behind the curtain, listener, this is our second attempt. It wasn't going well first time, so I thought I'd try a different style of intro. <laughs> you um, just thought you'd pretend you were from another region of the UK than you actually are. Exactly. Well, that region seems to be doing okay with the whole coronavirus thing, so maybe that's where we should all be. Oh, that's a good idea. So if we talk in Welsh accents, there'll never be any technical glitches again. Exactly. Right. Uh, lock down, lock hard, then you might be all right. That's a good uh, idea. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so how is how is the whole COVID situation treating you? I mean, it's not really changed for me um, at all. Obviously in Scotland, I, I, I'm for the first time across the UK, there seems to be a relatively consistent policy Obviously, next week we begin the age of the rule of six, whatever it's called. It does sound like something at Lord of the Rings. The age of the rule of six. <laughs> um, whereby, you know, you're only allowed to meet up with, there can be six of you. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's the same in England as it is in Scotland. I mean, in, our, in Scotland, it's two households. Is that the same in England? Um, it's difficult to say, really, because we are still amidst our own lockdown where we can't see ah. people from outside their own households anyway right of course you're in the mini lockdown in oldham still right yeah so i've not really paid that much attention to the rule of six other than six people and any person counts so children count as well right so that's different up here it's six people under 12s don't count but it applies to every setting you can imagine whether it's going to a park standing in someone's garden going to a pub in yeah. all settings in scotland it's the rule of six i mean nicola has never said the rule of six that's a boris thing obviously dominic cummings has come up with that to make it really pithy and memorable yes. but up here it's basically six people can meet i mean the, the difference up here as well i suppose is that right now we're operating under a thing where you can only meet eight people anyway so it's not that mm. big of a difference whereas i know in england it's still 30 until midnight tonight then until it changes to six because obviously yeah. coronavirus will be respecting that. It'll be watching. It'll be sitting looking at his watch, going, "Oh, I can't, I can't go out till midnight tonight. I can't spread." It's so infuriating. Yeah, it's funny the way they do that. I mean, with some of them, I can un- I understand. Like when when they said, I mean, they, I think they gave far too long a runway for the face masks to become, um, yeah. you know, um, compulsory in all these different places, but. Um, I'm not sure, but I do think sometimes you need a bit of a runway, but I'm not sure with this one, unless they were just thinking to themselves, people have already got things booked. Mm. Um, and we don't want the backlash of 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 that, of people having to cancel. And um, But people and apparently, is, people yeah. have been cancelling already. I was watching the Scottish, like, thing in Scotland, BBC Scotland channel called The Nine, mm. and it's the nine o'clock news, basically. And on Friday night, they were obviously Nicola had just announced on Thursday this the rule of six thing, and they were talking to people in the pub industry, and the, the pub landlords were, were, were complaining because they were saying they'd had like birthday bookings and things like that for this weekend, and people were just wanting to avoid any like confusion, were just cancelling, even though they could actually still legally do it until Monday. Um, well, because Nicola had said on Thursday she would rather folk did it now 
that they cannot put it into law until Monday, just the way it works. But what I found really quite annoying was a lot of these landlords and publicans. There was one guy, the first guy they interviewed, he was he got quite a long slot and he said, Oh, you know, it's just it's, it's disgraceful, it's gonna hit us in the pocket and you know, it just it, it really does just feel like the government are out to get us. And you're like, well they're not really. The government are not out to get the hospitality industry. I mean, it's very difficult for the hospitality industry, and I don't envy them, but to suggest that the government, whether it's the Scottish government or indeed the UK government, are out to get the hospitality industry, when we've just had a month of help out to eat out, I think that's a bit of a stupid thing to say. And there was a lot of these people were saying the same thing, like, oh, it's a disgrace. You know, the pubs have just been, have been shafted and forgotten about, and it's just not fair. But, I mean, there's lots of industries that have been left out. I mean, in Scotland this week, there were supposed to be a lot of things opening in the middle of this week that are now not going to be opening. Things like soft plays. Mm. And there was, there was various things that were, in, in, that were they'd been penciled in to open on the 14th and are now not going to be opening. Football. I mean, in Scottish football, the supporters were supposed to be coming back in at the end of this week. And again, we were told, right, it's going to be another three weeks at the very least. I mean, I, I, I watched Nicola's briefing on Thursday and I don't think there's going to be fans at Scottish football before Christmas, just from the way she worded it. She did, I mean, she said, look, we're going to review on the 5th of October, but please don't expect there to be many changes because the numbers are going up. And yeah. the only way to keep the, stop the numbers going up is to try and keep things at a reasonably suppressed level. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I mean, I think we're going to end up... Well, I don't know. I think they're doing everything in their power now. And I think all countries across Europe are mm-hmm. doing it. So it's not a criticism of, of, of the government in this, this instance. Uh, is they're doing everything they can to avoid the, the, the lockdown we had at the yeah. end of March, beginning of April. Uh, yeah. And they'll stall everything, I think, to make sure that that happens. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing it in countries like France, where the numbers are really bad again. They're basically saying, we can't afford to go into another lockdown. So we're not. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there, are, there are kind of partial lockdowns. I mean, in Scotland in the last two weeks, we, like where you are, there are now sort of small lockdowns in place across various areas of Scotland. I mean, Glasgow right now is in a sort of mini lockdown where people aren't allowed to go to other people's houses. And it's the same in Renfrewshire, and there's a couple of other council areas where that's happened. So, I mean, I think the way they were, there, was a, there was a kind of medical person on the news uh, yesterday I was watching in Scotland, and he was talking about the figures and they were looking at the percentage of people that died um, from each subsection of the, the, the age population. Mm. And what he was, ba- he didn't say this, but what I thought he was saying was, you know, the the only way to kind of keep things going and to minimise death would be to protect people over 70. Because he was going on about the number of people that died from each age bracket of the population and uh, it was something like 2% of the whole of the above seventies had died in Scotland of coronavirus. Wow, um, which is quite which is quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he was basically saying, you know, the, the the safest thing to do would be just to get the elderly to shield, but let people under seventy carry on. But basically, anyone that's of working age can still work. Um, obviously, if you've got like health health issues, you could still shield. But I mean, the big problem is that you know the government does not want to carry on the furlough scheme beyond the end of October, which is now only six weeks away. Yeah, that's true. So uh, you wonder what's what's going to happen. I mean, there, there are industries, like the theatre industry, which was meant to open up this week, that's not happening. And as I said, like places like soft plays and sort of children's areas like that, they're not opening up. And I still, if the numbers continue to go up as they're doing, I can't see how these industries will open, but I don't know how 
they'll survive because there's no money coming in. These companies will not be able to pay any wages. Furlough stops end of October. You just wonder what's going to happen. And it's a, it's a horrible, precarious balancing act that I don't envy any government having to, to deal with. No. Uh, you disappeared for a while, by the way. Ah, shite. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Well, we could just carry on. Yeah, I think we just carry on. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I mean, if anyone's listening, people listening to this will be used to it. It happens sometimes that when we're doing this, the technology, especially our technology has been very um, tempestuous today. That's why we've had to do this more than once. And sometimes it just decides to knock our sound levels slightly out of sync with each other. Um, But I I will do my best for the next 10, 15 minutes to just wait for you to answer and you can wait for me to answer and it means that the, the conversation shouldn't be too muddied no that sounds like a good plan um and i think what you were saying i think was was really very uh perceptive to be honest in that we're we're really struggling to find solutions that will actually work for everybody and you know, I thought you were actually going to say when you were saying about how, you know, the things are, the numbers are getting higher. And I thought you were actually going to say, you can't see how you said you can't, I can't see how. And then there was an ever so slight pause. And I thought you were going to say schools remain open. And I thought that's where you were going with that, because um, the level of testing that's now, I think, being required with schools opening um, is, is, I mean, the, the testing system, it appears to be a mess anyway. But mm. that, I, yeah, I don't know how we keep doing this all the way through a winter where, no. you know, carry on. It's difficult. I mean, the, I mean, the schools, to me, I feel like the schools are gearing up towards some kind of closure. Um, we've had... We got a message from the primary school last week and it was asking parents who didn't have the technology to do at-home learning to please get in touch ASAP because the school were trying to seek funding for that. Now, that to me suggests that local authorities are perhaps expecting that they might have to go to this blended model after the October holidays. Mm. I know that secondary schools are doing in-service this term and they're training up on using... Microsoft Teams and these kind of things so that they are able to deliver stuff digitally when it can't be done in person. So I do feel like our schools are prepping now for what may come in the next few weeks because it's the schools opened and as we predicted would happen and it's inevitable that it would happen. Once the schools open up and all the kids start mixing with each other, they're going to spread things to one another and then they're going to go home and spread it to their parents. I mean, the good thing at the moment in Scotland is the fact that the, the main, and it's the same in England, that the sort of highest number of cases are happening with people under 30. Mm. It's, you know, school-age kids and university-age people mostly. Um, but they were saying, wait another three or four weeks till those people have infected their parents and their grandparents. Then you may start to see the hospital numbers go up again and the number of deaths go up, you know, significantly again, like they were doing in March and April. I've spoken to a couple of people in the past week who, again, come from around where you're living, West Coast of Scotland. They're one of them, a, a parent of someone who's going to be going to college and another one who actually works in, in colleges. And they were both saying that 
they're, they're just starting with a blended learning model. They're just, mm-hmm. which is obviously because colleges and indeed universities can do that because the, the, the students are supposed to be self-motivated enough and also competent enough that they can do that blended learning. Whereas, you know, and indeed one would think that 15, 16, 17 year olds, you would hope could do a blended learning model approach for the most part, as long as the technology was there, if laptops could be provided or tablets or whatever. But when, when you get when you go younger, then it puts mm. an awful lot of pressure on parents. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some parents might be working from home. But again, if they're working from home and they also have to educate their children for a, even for a whole year of blended learning. So maybe their kids are going once or twice a week to school, but the other three days. I mean, that that's putting so much emotional and mental pressure on parents mm. and the kids too, but certainly the parents. And I think that that's a concern. Absolutely. There are so many concerns. And the thing is, I don't know what the solution is. I was listening to Five Live the other morning and they were having a phone in. Nikki Campbell was hosting it. And they had a couple of doctors on. And he asked outright, when do you think we will have something in place like a vaccine whereby we can get back to normal completely? And one of the guys said, if I'm being really optimistic, like really, really unicorn believing levels of optimism he said 12 to 18 months realistically you're looking at more than two years because he said it's not just about you know making the vaccine and testing it he said it's having the ability to give it to everyone in the world because if you don't have enough to give to everyone you cannot fully stop the virus so and you could hear it in nicky campbell's voice he was kind of like oh really oh no because you know the way boris was talking about it It'd be, it was going to be back to normal at Christmas. Yeah. And, we, it would, and the way they talk about their virus programme in Oxford, even though it's had to shut down this week, although, I mean, apparently that is a normal thing. But they've made out like that's going to be good to go, like February, March. But uh, from listening to doctors on the telly, that, that, I, I don't think that's going to happen. No. And, and uh, you know, I felt really, this is, and it's often, um, when we talk about this stuff, often we, we both say that we don't know how you fix things. We, we, we're we not trying to pretend that we know better than the other people. Mm. I think what we sometimes quibble with and find frustration with is the, either the inconsistencies or the, 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 the lies, essentially, that get told. Um, because I was, I was at work on Wednesday, um, and I was actually having a day in the office. And so the only, um, the only way I knew that Boris Johnson was giving his speech about the rule of six and whatnot was was just you know the alert that comes up the BBC news headline thing that, mm. that alerts your phone um, and that's the only really thing I had and then I went back um, I went to my grandfather's for tea um, as we both live by ourselves as a support bubble element there that means that that's absolutely fine and um, I went there for my tea and he'd been speaking to my aunt. And um, both of them were really quite hopeful because they just heard the headlines on the BBC News, I think probably five live, maybe the four o'clock headlines or the five o'clock headlines or something. Mm -hmm. And they genuinely thought what they'd heard was that um, the antibody test was coming and it was going to be by Christmas, we'd all have an antibody test and we could do the antibody test. And if you were immune, life could go back to normal. 
And they thought that that's what was going to happen for Christmas. And so they were quite excited. And I was like, really? Because obviously we talked about your experience with the antibody test mm-hmm. from several months ago now and about how basically the government had withdrawn them because they weren't accurate enough. Um, mm-hmm. And so I kind of looked up and I was like, oh, no, it's not. It's, it's a, a moonshot idea, which is a great mm-hmm. phrase, which you hadn't heard about before about four months ago, um, that we are going to have daily tests yeah, to check whether we're going to, we're fine to go out and do our daily business. We just take a test in the morning. It's like, I don't know. It's the way I, I'm presuming it's an entirely self self run test whereby, you know, I get up in the morning, I do my swab, put it in the little container, mm-hmm. the, the, the liquid or whatever. I have my breakfast I go for my shower, I come out of my shower, check the the liquid, find out I'm negative, go about my daily life. That's the theory. Uh, but who monitors that? Like, who yeah. do I have to carry around like a little pregnancy test thing which has turned blue? Do I have to carry it around every day? Because You have to wear it around your neck every day when you go out. Because I presume that means I'm allowed to go into supermarkets without face masks on. Because life You'd is back so. to normal. Yeah. I can go on public transport, not wear a mask, etc. But that only works as well is if every single person does the yeah. test in the morning. Uh, yeah, not not most. Every single person has to engage with that. Every single person and be completely honest exactly. about it as well. So, so you know, you've got a, a really important job interview in the morning. You do your test. You find out you're positive, um, and you have to be completely honest and phone them up and say you can't do the interview. Yeah. Um, or you know, you've set up a date with the girl that you've been madly in love with for years. She's finally agreed to go on a date with you. You do the test that morning, and you know it's positive. Can't go on a date. Yeah. You know, and that, and there's so many circumstances where you would just think, well, will I? Will I do it? Exactly, and not even the most basic one of, you know, it's coming up to Christmas and you need the money. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to well, if you're, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people working zero hours contracts who, if faced with the possibility of staying off work, will not get paid. I mean, I'm self-employed. If I don't work, I don't get paid. Yeah. And there'll be a lot of people in that position, and, a lot of tradesmen in that position who would think, well, I just need to go to work. I'll just pretend I've taken the test. Yeah. And and a hundred billion pounds to do it, which is more than the defence budget per That's year. Right. One must presume. Yeah, and yet we can't afford the furlough scheme. Yeah, exactly. Like how much? Like how much money? Because obviously they've said that five hundred million pounds is going towards us at the moment. So as somebody brilliantly Ben pointed out, only another ninety nine and a half billion pounds to go. <laughs> uh, but but the, I mean, the eat out to help out scheme cost five hundred million pounds. Yeah, and you wonder how much money they could have put into the furlough scheme from that. Exactly, and I think I, I don't know. Like that, that's just a big number. And again, this is what I have the issue with. It's not necessarily. Do you know what? Maybe the Brit- maybe we should look at the British public and say, do you know what? We all have to pull together. This is this is akin to a war. We all have to mm-hmm. pull together and this is what's expected of you. Not necessarily by law. We can't, you know, make it illegal for you not to take your test in the morning, but let's appeal to all our better judgments. It's free. You know, we'll get deliveries every day or every week, you know, for you can do the test. Just do it and, and let's all spring together. But the chances of this actually working in with within the 12 to 18 month period which is when a vaccine may arrive anyway 
is very, very slim. And it can't, you know, I was just reading something there earlier on today that apparently we have capacity to do 375,000 tests currently a day. But yeah, we that's can, quite short of uh, what we'd need to do everybody's. But we can only process 62,000. Yeah, that's right. And so while we're still only being able to process 62,000, why are we talking about 60 million people? I know, I know. We're, we're way off it. But I can't help thinking that, and again, horrendously cynical, but on Wednesday was supposed to be the big, wonderful day when the internal market bill was supposed to go before Parliament, which is when mm-hmm. we're going to break in, you know, if this past essentially breaks international law with the Brexit issue. And all of a sudden on Wednesday, it was also the day when we were going to create this £100 billion testing regime that was going to bring our lives back to normal. Mm. You know, and which one led the newspapers the next day? Yes, I know. You know, and but the thing is, it gives people hope in a way that's then dashed. Like the, the, mm-hmm. the, the optimism on my, you know, granddad and my aunt's faces when they were talking about how their lives were just about to go back to normal, just around the corner. It's really not far away. I know. You know, it's, it's difficult. It is. It's, it's horrible. I mean, another thing that's, I and mean, again, you might not be aware of this down south, but um, in Scotland, this has been quite controversial up here. The BBC have decided they're going to stop airing Nicola Sturgeon's daily briefings as of this week. And is there a reason? Well, they said that because uh, life is starting to get a bit more normal, then they don't really see the need to have these briefings every day. Even though the numbers are starting to spiral upwards again. Yeah, I was listening to a news programme and one of the heads of the BBC was on and he was asked, has there been lobbying from other political parties about this? And he, he said, yes. Yes, there has. But he said, he said, that's not why we're doing it. Mm. He said, that is normal for other parties. Well, the Tory party. <laughs> um, and I think the Labour party up here as well have lobbied to have her off the telly because, I mean, what has happened in coronavirus times is that Nicola Sturgeon's popularity, which was already pretty high in Scotland, has just gone up yeah. because they've seen her deal with things effectively, competently. And, you know, she's she's been there every pretty much every day since the start of the lockdown. She's been on the telly doing her briefings. Do you know what they're replacing it with on the telly? Captain Pugwash. Uh, bargain Hunt. <laughs> Battle of Britain special this week. Oh. Which feels almost like it's deliberately done to sort of annoy people that like Nicola Sturgeon. Just that the fact that it's the Battle, Battle of, Britain, of Britain bargain hunt special. Think- so what they're what they're now gonna do, they said they're gonna have the briefings, but they'll just put them online instead. Mm-hmm. Because and they will make an editorial decision as to when it's important enough that they show it on the telly. It's difficult. Which I which I find really difficult to understand i mean not from a political point of view i just think it's a bit dangerous because we're in a time where there are more restrictions in place and there are new infections in every part of scotland now and when they're doing the new figures here she goes out i mean this week every day this week there's been new cases in every single council area in scotland and you think this is the time when you need to have advice and leadership and clarity of leadership but for the BBC to decide, no, we're just going to stop doing that and show bargain hunt instead. Even though she's still going to be doing those briefings. They're just not going to be on telly anymore. So a lot of the elderly and vulnerable people who probably watch telly during the day will not have access. People who maybe don't, like, you know, like old ladies and old men yeah. who don't like to use the internet, they're not going to be going onto the BBC website to access that. 
they'll just not get the news. No, and it's I do understand. I mean, I think what they're thinking about is, and I think the BBC have kind of have been caught the same as a lot of people of this will be over soon. This will be over soon. Yeah. But as close, I mean, I know May is quite far away still, but at some point they'd have to make a decision because you can't have the leader of one party getting a daily televised press conference in the run up to a set of elections. Oh. Of course, um, I do understand that. Um, and it's and it's when do you when do you stop it? Do you stop but it the thing, long before that? Yeah, I know, I know. You know. But the thing is, I mean, I watch Nicola's ones most days, and she gets asked questions about Brexit. She gets asked questions about Alex Salmon. She gets asked questions about the Labour leader in Scotland, and every question she'll say, "This is a COVID press thing that I'm doing just now. I don't want to talk about that." Yeah. So she doesn't, in a way that. Boris and pals very often use those things as a platform just to bring out new policies. Yeah. You know, you just have random policy announcements on these daily televised things. She sticks to COVID news and she gets an, you can, because she's quite, her, you know, Nicola wears her heart on her sleeve. She always looks, you can tell when she's irritated by a journalist. <laughs> Anytime they ask her a question that's not really about COVID, you can see in her face that she's not happy. No. Um, you know, to ask her about Brexit. I mean, I think she she talked about Brexit a little bit because obviously that is concerning. The Brexit negotiations are now completely gone backwards and have now been ripped up when we've still got the pandemic going on. Yeah. So that is that is a genuine concern. Um, but I don't know. It just it kind of worries me that that's it's a very important news broadcast yes. that they're stopping this week and right when the numbers are starting to go up and up in Scotland again. Yeah, and I think um, that, that's when they take it away from us. And when you think about the level of political discourse or the kind of the kind of political television that we get, which is basically you get a center, well, no, you get an impartial um, chair of of whatever the the or host or whatever you want to call it, and then you get two diametrically opposed political people who just shout at each other for you know however long the segment lasts i think the the idea of that daily briefing we've never had that really because in our daily briefings it was Mm. very much a case of some conservative minister who would offer flim flam and a and a brand new policy or would just basically outright lie you know come come in and say a hundred thousand tests we've made it when actually they were counting two days together and it was mailed out tests and it wasn't anything to do with the reality, went back down to about 73,000 the following day. And now in, um, in, in, in September, we're down to being able to process 62,000. The, min- the mendacity of the daily press conferences, similar to the ones that were taking place in America, um, you know, I thought it was a blessing that they took them off hours. Mm-hmm. But... Nicola Sturgeon is a stateswoman. Um, she's, you know, I probably, I imagine she's taken her lead from Angela Merkel in how to, you know, sort of I think so. uh, lead through this pandemic and do the right thing through this pandemic. And it seems, I, I completely agree with you that it's the old and the vulnerable that I would be concerned about. Absolutely. Um, she also has, I mean, she also has medical people on every day with her. Yeah. You know, there's, there's two, there's, there's Jason Leach, and Jason Leach is the kind of clinical director of Scotland. And there's a guy called Gregor Smith, who's the chief medical officer. And one of them is it's usually one of those two that's on. And the, that's the other difference with the way the UK ones were. 
she is completely on the same page as them. Mm. There's no, like, with the UK ones laterally, you can see Chris Whitty and Jonathan Van Tamp, you can see them stepping back from Boris, almost being like, we're not okaying this. This is not, a, we're, yeah. we we don't agree with what he's doing here. See, opening everything up, we, we didn't tell him to do that. Um, You can see Chris Whitty, he just looked, you yeah. can see he was just like, please, please don't do what he's saying. Please, <laughs> please, please, please listen to science, listen to me. Whereas our briefings, the, the Nicholas Sturgeon and the medical people, are basically reading off the same page and they've given out the same message and it's a very clear and consistent message. Um, and that's why I think it is, there's, it's a real public health concern that they're going to take that away yeah. from everybody to have access to. Yeah. But we'll see, I mean, there was a, there's a, as always with these things, there's been a petition and there's like, you know, tens of thousands of people have signed it. The Herald, you know, the Glasgow Herald did a poll yesterday to see if people agreed with, um, the thing been taken down and it was 85% of people said it shouldn't be stopped right um, although interestingly I mean I read the article 85% of people said that it shouldn't be stopped but they quoted five members of the public four of them were people who didn't like Nicola Sturgeon and only one of them said it should which I thought was slightly skewed that given that 85% of people thought the press conferences were a good idea but they managed to somehow find 80% of their interviews <laughs> Were people who thought they were a bad idea, but it was this, it was people just saying like it's a disgrace. She's she's becoming more popular and she's just using it as a political platform, but she's only becoming more popular because she's like you said she's doing it well. Yeah, you know she's leading by example and she's being statesmanlike in a way that Boris will never ever be capable of. If Boris lived to be a thousand, he would never be a statesman. He just doesn't have it in him to do that, and none of these guys do. Like Matt Hancock and Gavin Williamson. Michael Gove, Dominic Rab, none of these people have it in them to be statesmen. The, the statesmen that we need right now to lead us through this and don't have it. Do you know what I can't believe hasn't happened? And I know it's COVID and you have to kind of keep uh, distances and stuff, but isn't it amazing in that what is apparently the biggest um, crisis, and, and you know, considering furlough and whatnot, probably is the biggest crisis that Britain has faced in, in however long. At no point has there been a press conference or a um, summit meeting or anything where all, you know, Boris plus Nicholas Sturgeon plus the head of the Welsh Assembly and the head of the Northern Ireland Assembly have all shared a platform and said, look, this is the UK slash England and we're all in this together and this is how we're going to mm-hmm. face it together. And the fact that that hasn't happened tells shocking. you so much well boris wasn't allowing nicola or the welsh chap to attend cobra meetings they weren't even allowed in on it yeah and And that tells you everything that really does tell you everything about how the devolved nations are considered in this exactly um and i think that at that point we've we've reached half an hour and i don't think we're going to come to solve this (sighs) no i don't think we ever will uh, but I think it's been a quite a, a good snapshot of where we're at at the moment. And I think sometimes we have these, I think we talked about it. Mm. I'm not sure if it was on air or just between no, ourselves. No, I think we talked about it afterwards. Is that yeah. We sometimes have, like last week was a slightly more jollier sort of optimistic one about cinema and, and whatnot. Um, this one is, is slightly more somber, which kind of reflects the week that we've had um, mm. in the nation. So hopefully over the course of the next week, it will even if numbers continue to rise, hopefully there can be some hints of what what, what was that phrase that they always use? Sun lit up lands. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, hopefully there can be something. But um, thank you for sticking with us, listener. Thank you. And hopefully the sound's okay. Yes, we hope so. And if it's not, it'll be better next week. Yes. Hopefully. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone. 
Thank you for listening. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye.